encourage you to come back this evening when we will have our second uh, Sunday night singing, and I hope you'll come for that. Uh, many of our men will get up and, and lead a song, perhaps we'll take some uh, suggestions, and also come back for Wednesday night. Our Wednesday night Bible study is back on. Hope to see you then. What if I told you that there is something that is responsible for the following? 50% of all traffic accidents, 56% of fights and assaults in the home, 55% of all arrests, 54% of fire deaths, 36% of pedestrian accidents, 45% of drownings, 37% of suicides, 70% of all murders, and is the leading cause of admissions to mental hospitals. I want some of that. Is that what you would say? Maybe not. But perhaps. For the blank here is alcohol. That is the thing that is involved in these matters. Despite these numbers, many Christians still partake regularly and without hesitation. Not everyone who drinks, though, will do these things, admittedly. But it is undeniable that those who drink are playing with a very dangerous thing. Warnings in Scripture are clear. There are groups in the Bible that didn't drink at all, that were commanded not to drink because they were expected to have a certain level of behavior. John the Baptizer, for instance, Luke chapter 1. Nazarites, such as Samson, we know they couldn't cut their hair, but also they could not drink alcohol. Aaron and the high priests are told to never drink, but often failed at this and paid the price for their behavior. I would like to make sure that our question this morning is abundantly clear. We could ask the question, is it wrong? Is it necessary? Should a Christian drink? We could ask all those questions, but in my discussions I have found that that kind of muddies the water. I'd like to focus instead on this question. Is it wise for Christians to drink alcohol? And as is the case, always the case, let's let the Scriptures speak. There are arguments against drinking alcohol which are rather easy to run through. Number one, you might cause someone to turn to alcoholism because many people struggle with this and the principle of 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is very easy to apply here. Paul was writing to the Corinthian church about eating meat sacrificed to idols. This offended some people. They did not like the fact that some people had no problem eating this meat that was sacrificed to idols, and it was causing some division. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, that when you offend someone by this, you are sinning against Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13 says, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. So it's easy for us to see that this principle, if something causes my brother to sin, 
I'm not going to partake of it. And I know that there's probably not a person here right now that would agree with this. That if there's somebody who has an issue, a temptation of alcohol, I'm going to make sure that they're not around it. So this is an easy argument against alcoholism. Next, it's associated with and leads to all sorts of bad behavior. Romans chapter 13 and verse 13 says, Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. As we look at commercials, as we look at ads for alcohol, you can pick out any one of these poor behaviors as they are associated with it. You can look at the news, as in the statistics from earlier, and see that in the news, oftentimes, these bad behaviors are definitely associated with alcohol. Isaiah 51 says, Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. People who are choosing to drink and who drink in the evening, who drink a lot in the morning so that they might get that buzz or that it might inflame them as the prophet Isaiah says here. Their banquets, their parties are accompanied by lyre and harp. Their parties are accompanied by marijuana and loud music by tambourine and flute, and by wine. But they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord. Nor do they consider the work of His hands. Those who drink alcohol have to deal with this particular scripture and how it brings about certain behaviors that are not pleasing to God. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 23, please. Proverbs chapter 23, there are several warnings against alcohol in this well-worded passage. Proverbs chapter 23, beginning with verse 29. Who has woe? Isaiah just said the person that drinks at night and drinks in the morning. Here the writer says in Proverbs, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? So who has these problems? Okay, this, it's, it's, it's a rhetorical question. Who has these issues? Who has anger? Who has, who has violence in their home? Who, who doesn't get along very well with people? Who can you see in their eyes that they're hurting physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally? Those who linger long over wine. Those who go to taste mixed wine as well. Number one argument against drinking as we continue in this passage, it causes pain. I want to tell you about someone I know. I'm going to call him Brett. That's not his name. But he turned to alcohol a long time ago because of personal pain. And a mutual friend of ours called me at 2 a.m., worried over our friend Brett, 
who was in a hotel room somewhere we couldn't tell. I called him after ringing his phone several times, finally he picked up. Dale, how did you know? Long story short, I believe through the providence of God. Our mutual friend didn't know he called me back. I had my phone on do not disturb, so he had to call me twice to get me. He didn't think he called me twice, but he did. Anyway, it was 2 a.m., or whatever it was. Our friend Brett was in a hotel room somewhere with a gun. Wouldn't tell me where he was. Alcohol wasn't making the pain go away, so he was going to try another method. Tough to hear at 2 a.m. And that's not the only call that I've gotten early in the morning because of alcohol. Husbands, wives beating up on each other. It's not very fun. I stayed on the phone with him until the police got there. Thankfully, he's fine today. Verses 31 and 32. Do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly, at the last it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Alcohol is deceptive. To my friend Brad, he thought it could help him. It obviously did not. It obviously was not helping him. Alcohol can be very deceiving. Why? Because it goes down smooth. I'm sure there's an alcohol company using that slogan. And it sparkles in the cup, and it looks beautiful. But in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Why? Because it is a work of the flesh, as mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. It's something that we're going to struggle with, some people more than others. And lastly, verses 33 through 35, your eyes will see strange things if you drink alcohol. And your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea. Or like one who lies down on the top of a mast. The mast of a ship. What are you doing up there? Probably falling off. They struck me, but I did not become ill, the person who drinks might say. They beat me, but I did not know it. When shall I awake? I will seek another drink. Definitely painting the picture of someone who has a serious problem with alcohol, the person who rises up, the person who goes to sleep, and all they can think about is that alcohol. It is deceptive. And as we take, as people take more and more of it in, it pushes out the Spirit of God because it is a work of the flesh. Addictive in nature. It calls to you. It wants you to take it. And so you've got to drink it. And the more you drink, the more you have to have, it seems. And how can we remain sober, sober-minded, sober-minded mentally, sober-minded spiritually, if we're partaking in something that is its direct focus is to throw all of that off? These are arguments against drinking. Well, what about those that are in favor of it? Number one, some people say that it can be used as medicine. And no doubt, 1 Timothy 5.23, Paul says to the young preacher Timothy, no longer drink water exclusively, but a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. They didn't have a CVS, they didn't have a Walgreens, 
an apothecary, which is an old word. I like to work in there every now and then. They didn't have those things in those days. So they had to do things that were available to them. One of those things was to drink wine. But we aren't discussing its medicinal properties, are we? That's another discussion altogether. And you can't argue its use for medicine and then drink it for pleasure. Well, doctors recommend alcoholic wine for a healthy heart. Studies earlier in the 2000s gave many drinkers hope. Health benefits of the chemical called resveratrol were seen in mice. To get the same effects, humans would have to drink around 500 glasses per day, according to a Harvard Health study. And this same chemical is also found in foods such as peanuts, pistachios, blueberries, cranberries, and even cocoa and dark chocolate. Sign me up for some of those. But not for something that might harm me in so many other ways. Well, Dell, I drink alcohol because God only condemns drunkenness. Certainly, a reasonable argument. God only condemns drunkenness. It's throughout Scripture, no doubt about that. Well, how do you get drunk? Get drunk by drinking. There's two Greek words that can be translated here. Methuo says, do not be drunk, such as Matthew 24 and verse 49. Do not be a drunkard, someone labeled as that, someone who is drunk. But also there's the Greek word methusko. Do not get drunk. Luke chapter 12 and verse 45. Do not be in the process of getting as such. Not only that, there are all kinds of warnings in Scripture. It condemns drunkenness, but warns. It always warns also against alcohol. Why? Because people then probably had to drink it more than we have to today for certain, but also because it's dangerous in so many ways. So our question, though, remember, is it wise for you to drink at all? Because adults, if you do drink occasionally, you are teaching your kids that a dangerous item is okay. Well, consider this. It's okay. He's never bitten anyone before. Well, he almost ate his little brother, but his little brother, he was asking for it. Don't pet him on his back, son. That makes him angry. Also, don't look him in the eye, play with him too much, forget to feed him because you're just the right size for, well, you know. But it's okay to lay on him. It's okay to lay on him. What about this, Dale? Jesus turned water into wine in John chapter 2. Did he? The word wine can have two different meanings depending on the context. First off, we have alcoholic wine, as it's mentioned in Isaiah 5.11. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may pursue strong drink who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. read that earlier. Then there's non-alcoholic wine, Matthew 5.17. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wineskins burst. As the wine ferments, it grows, so the principle here is illustrated. You know, as it grows, the wineskins have to stretch with it. The wine that's put into these new wineskins is non-alcoholic. So there's two uses. Whenever you see the word wine in Scripture, you've got to look at the context to see exactly what it's talking about. So how can we know whether or not Jesus made alcohol in John chapter 2? 
Let's look at the immediate context. In the immediate context, we notice that the governor, the host of the party, of the feast, said this concerning the wine that Jesus made from water. Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, they give that wine, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. See, he noticed that this was better wine after he had well drunk. Had he been drunk, he wouldn't have been able to decipher between the two. Well, good wine is just as, you know, old wine, what have you. You know, but here he says, this is better than what you were serving earlier. He has his cognition readily available. If you're drunk, you can barely walk, much less decipher between a, one wine versus another. But here, he obviously could. We must also consider the context of the entirety of Scripture, not only looking at John 2, but throughout Scripture as we garner its wisdom. The Bible, as we've said, makes it clear that the use of alcohol is something that is dangerous. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 20, in verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. It's also interesting to point out here that the items are condemned. Many people try to say, well, I don't get drunk, it's, it's okay. Well, drunkenness is condemned. Well, here, the particular items are condemned from the Proverbs writer. You think Jesus, knowing this passage, you think Jesus, knowing this passage, would have said, here's some alcoholic wine for you to get drunk on, especially when we consider Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 15. Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who, in your ven who mix in your venom, even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. Jesus knew these passages. He knew them early on in his life, he would not have contributed to the drunkenness. If it was going on at all, Jesus would not have contributed to a drunken party because of these passages and the other evidence that I've submitted to you this morning. It is a family tradition, is it not? In 1982, Hank Williams Jr.'s famous song, Family Tradition, was released. In it, he sings about drinking, somewhat about drugs as well. A family tradition that ended with his father, 30 years earlier, who died in the back seat of a 1952 Cadillac on New Year's Day, 1952. A tragic story, leaving a son fatherless. In this story, though, we have some distance. You know, you might not even like Hank's music. There's some distance there. Ah, Dale, that's, that's Hank. You know, he's living that star-studded life. Well, there are some stories that hit a bit closer to home. On September 4th of this month, a 20-year-old man faced vehicular homicide charges by intoxication after Metro police officers said that the car he was driving went airborne and crashed onto another vehicle, killing the driver. The result of alcohol. A 20-year-old man whose life is now forever changed, as well as the family that he touched there. There are Christian families I'm familiar with who have laid their children in the grave much too soon. The families saw drinking alcohol in moderation as acceptable, and they followed that rule as a family. But I can't help but think 
that had they been more against drinking, their children wouldn't have gotten into other things like drinking a lot more than their parents ever thought possible. You may be able to take a sip, but what about your children? Your sip may turn into your daughter being a drug addict. Your sip may end up being your grandchild, never knowing his father. Families who don't drink, it's one less thing to worry about. Okay, one less thing for you to be concerned about if you're not drinking. However, those families who do drink, even occasionally, can slowly become the family plagued with substance abuse problems. Some stories can hit even closer than that. Jimmy was 16 and drinking, had a car accident, and died on the way to the hospital in Lebanon, Tennessee. Ronnie on Dickerson Pike was at a bar and he was hit by a drunk driver, became mentally handicapped and dependent on others for the rest of his life. Mike stopped off, stopped off at a bar after work and had a wreck on his way home, paralyzed from the chest down at age 20 and died at 45. These men are my first cousins. And perhaps it's ironic or fitting Their mother died three years ago today. <clears throat> Some family traditions shouldn't continue, this being one of them. It's touched all of us much too closely. My dad and mom, thankfully, stopped the family tradition a long time ago. I grew up in a different household, perhaps than you did, but it's not a family tradition that needs to continue in anybody's home. I myself, as always, am not your judge. I'm simply here to preach what Scripture says about alcohol, what mental health professionals contend, and what experience would dictate. I cannot stand at a young man's casket who was there because of alcohol and other drugs, and then look at you and say, let's go have a cold one. Consider your thoughts and behavior, and are you continually trying to do something that the Bible warns against? It's simply not wise. If you're not a Christian this morning and you need to change your life, I pray that you'll come forward. If you are a Christian and you need to ask for forgiveness of your sins, I hope you'll do that as well. Whether it's alcohol or whether it's something else that's got you by the, you know, by the neck and is causing you to do things you know you shouldn't do and you want to get rid of those things, come forward this morning. Let us pray with and let us pray for you. Please come forward now as we stand and sing. Jesus.